Hello, 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 and welcome to The Fandom Show, the podcast where we learn about fantastic fandoms by talking to our favorites about their favorites. I'm Kaya Green. And I'm Stephanie Malik, and we are so excited to have you. We are a brand new podcast on the From Superheroes Network. Very first episode. This, this is our very first episode. This is our origin story, even. Like, Batman's parents dying, that's what's happening right now to us. We're getting bit by so many spiders. We're, um... It hurts. Uh, Help us. <laughs> A third origin story. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we're, we're a brand new podcast here on the network. Uh, we're very excited. Uh, a little bit about us. Um, I'm a television writer and uh, just all around geek. Um, I love many, many, many different fandoms. Um, the Lord of the Rings to Buffy to all sorts of things. And that's, uh, that's how I met you. Yeah, um, I am, I always refer to myself as a professional fangirl because I try to make fandom uh, part of everything I do in my life. My fandoms are Sailor Moon, Lord of the Rings, Shira, squirrels, mushrooms. I love everything. Yeah, we, we have like a real cornucopia of things that we're in love with. And and sort of as a result of that, uh, this, this is how we met. We, we met because we were producing a Buffy musical episode together and we ended up falling in love. Yes. So in a, <laughs> in a fast and furious three weeks, uh, I drunkenly met Kaya, asked them to produce a show with me. We put together a live read through and sing along of Once More with Feeling. Kaya played Spike, I played Anya, uh, and then since then we have collaborated to do a whole bunch of fun fandom-based things. We run a nerd trivia night uh, at Stormcrow Manor in Toronto. Uh, we do live events as much as possible. We've been to Fan Expo in Toronto more times than I could name. <laughs> uh, I've won master championships in cosplay. We're nerds, yeah. is what this all is. We're here trying to, say. to earn our nerd cred here, but just like we're nerds. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, over the pandemic, we were uh, talking about like how much fun it is to just be a nerd, to just love things unabashedly, not be an expert, not be like involved in them, and just like just fucking love the shit out of things because it's fun to love stuff. And in talking about that, we realized how many of our friends, of our coworkers, of the people that we know just love things unabashedly and we wanted to kind of celebrate that and also just hang out with people and talk about the shit that they love. Yeah, it's one of the greatest things uh, for us is when someone starts talking about their favorite thing or their fandom, you just watch people light up. You watch them get to be their truest, most excited selves. And we wanted to share that with other people. So. Yeah, so we were like, let's make a space where people can just like geek out as hard as humanly possible. And then other people can listen. And that's you. That's where you come in. <laughs> well, thank you for allowing us to talk to people about the things that they love. All of our guests are fans. They are not experts. No. They are not uh, academics in the topics. We reached out to them and asked them what they love and what they want to talk about. And that's how we got here. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we kind of want to be fans of all fandoms. So we're just fans of the idea of fans. Uh, we're and fandom fans. Fans of fans. Uh, fan, fans of fan fans? Fans of fandom fans. Fans of We'll work on it. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, it just seemed really exciting to us to talk to people about just the things that they they dive into. Yeah. And um, if you're listening to this, this is the first episode, but there are other episodes as well. So if you like this, please download the other ones, check them out, uh, and hopefully you like them. Yeah, check out the fandoms that you, you already like, hear people talk about them, who doesn't love that, or check out the ones you don't know anything about and have scintillating dinner party conversation. Like me on this first episode. I know nothing about this, so I'm excited to jump into it. Today we are talking about those large, big budget Broadway productions of musicals 
that are absolutely terrible. Yes, the fandom you didn't know what was a fandom, but absolutely is, as it turns out. Musical flops. Musical flops. Um, specifically today, we are going to be talking about Carrie and Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, and I'm stoked about it. And like, can't, can't stress enough. Wish you could see my face. I'm dying. So excited. And if you found this, it might be because you listen to another podcast on this network. Maybe you like listening to people talk about how they hate and love things. Wait, that sounds familiar, Steph. It does sound familiar because our first guest on the podcast is uh, Jocelyn Getty, a television writer, comedian, and recovering academic who is best known for her work on Mysticons, Go Away Unicorn, The Snoopy Show, New Eden, The Beaverton, and... I, I hate, hate it, but, but I, I love it. it. On the From Superheroes Network. Everyone, um, thank you for listening. Uh, so excited to welcome Jocelyn Getty. Jocelyn, Yay. how are you? You two are so delightful. I could not be more thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the pilot episode of your show. Wow. And more specifically, thank you for allowing me to bring you into my terrible musical loving world. I, I truly could not be more honored. I'm literally so excited because I have a secret delight that I wasn't aware other people were into, which is reading bad movie or bad uh, bad movie musical reviews. I got into it with Cats where I got obsessed with reading the reviews and then Dear Evan Hansen happened and I got further obsessed. So this <laughs> is very exciting to me. And I just love musicals, so I'm excited to see how terrible they can be. And the fact that people still listen to them, even if they're awful, I love it. So it's true. The Please carry on. Oh, I, <laughs> I was just going to say, they can be so terrible. You don't even know, but I guess we're about to know. We're about to know, which brings us to how, 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 what, what is this fandom? How did you get into this? Where does this start? Tell us your origin story. I am so delighted you asked. Okay, so I have, much like you, Steph, I am a long-standing fan of all musical theater. But I also have always been drawn to flops. Much like you, Kaya, finding out how did this happen? Why did this happen? What is this thing that's been inflicted upon all of us? <laughs> the first one I found out about was uh, Carrie the Musical. And when I learned that this had happened somehow, <laughs> this had <laughs> happened, this had became intrigued to know more. And as I learned, there is a, a vast and glorious world of Broadway flops out there. I mean, for every successful Broadway show that you've heard of, I would venture to say there are 10 or maybe more shows that have failed horribly. You know, for every Sweeney Todd, there's a Merrily We Roll Along. For every Hamilton, there's Glory Days, a show about four high school friends uh, coming home for the summer, and one of them comes out that opened and closed on the same night on Broadway. <laughs> Something the actors only found out when they arrived at the stage door the next day to find a sign that says, the musical has closed. <laughs> the sign just says, no. Yeah, don't come in. Not allowed. <laughs> wow. Truly, truly brutal. But then the thing about it that I love so much is that, and I, I, I mean this purely and sincerely, musical theater is such a rigorous art form. It takes so much ability, physical ability, um, mental and physical stamina to be able to perform yep. a show night after night. The talent that these people have, I mean, it's kind of like being an artist who's also a marathon runner, sort of smushed together. And to put those skills in service of doing something that nobody likes is something that I, <laughs> I genuinely 
feel so tender about. You know, the idea of getting on stage every night to work so hard at doing something that an audience looks at and goes, no. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I mean, I would not call it heroic necessarily, but I do think there's a, a mental fortitude that you have to possess to be like, yeah, I'm about to do something that everybody hates. And guess what? They might have paid $300 to be here. And they're very mad at me. And you still have me. to go so big and so, like... You can't halfway it. Yeah, you have to be smiling and performing as if, like, it's the biggest show of your life. And That's exactly right. There was a show called Cry Baby, a huge flop. It was the follow-up to Hairspray. So, of course, everyone had the excitement of, oh, it's going to be another Hairspray. Oh, it was no. a very different show tonally. Nobody liked it. And yet, in that show, there is a 12-minute dance sequence that <laughs> involves a bunch of uh, prisoners breaking out of jail. They perform a tap dance number with um, license plates glued to their feet. <laughs> um do that whole tap and then dance for another 12 minutes. Oh and one God. of the dancers in the show said, it was so hard, so hard, and I'm one of the best dancers on Broadway, that I would get off stage and vomit from exhaustion every single night. Oh, my God. And then it closed like 12 days later. Oh, my God. Because audience were still, audiences were still seeing that and being like, eh, but, I mean... You know, it's no hairspray. So oh. the actors were like, what? Oh, <laughs> Why? That's devastating. That's, I don't think I've ever tried that hard at anything. <laughs> I certainly haven't. I can barely walk in a straight line. So, I mean, I just, I, I admire and respect so much these people who pour themselves into something that doesn't work and have to do it in front of people every single night. I think that's a, that's a marvelous thing. You know what else I really, really love about the, like, just the concept of it is I think so much success is a hair's breadth away from being failure. I think the best example of this is Hamilton. Hamilton, on paper, should not be good. It should be At terrible. All. When you hear the concept Sounds of it, you're like, like a joke. nope, that's a, that's a garbage idea. There's a reason why when <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda went to that, I think it was the press uh, dinner, and he told the entire audience, hey, I'm going to do a rap about uh, one of the most Alexander gangster guys, uh, founding father Alexander Hamilton, and the entire room laughed at him. The president laughed at him. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, no, this is the thing. And it it's a phenomenal, it's an incredible show. But on paper, a rap musical about one of the founding fathers of America. Why? Yep. But, so yeah. the, the worst musical and the best musical, I feel like, are two sides of the same coin. <laughs> I think that's so true. I mean, and imagine... Having President Barack Obama laugh in your face and not having to say into the mic, I'm so sorry, you know, my anus has immediately prolapsed out of my body. I just have to go now and live underneath a rock by the sea forever. But I think you've really hit on another thing that I strangely find really comforting about flop musicals is I'm such a perfectionist mm -hmm. and I can really beat myself up about my work, the work I put out into the world. There's something about knowing that Success and failure exist on opposite sides of a razor thin line that kind of takes the pressure off. Yeah. You know, it sometimes it's just luck of the draw. Now, sometimes it is pure brute negligence, as we will discuss oh, when we I'm get excited. to Spider-Man turn off the dark. This is the but, optimistic version of this. Yes. <laughs> We're coming in open. We're ending just brutal. 
Yes, exactly. But but there's a way in which it's kind of like, you know, sometimes you just don't know if something's going to hit or not. And all you can do is put your entire heart and soul into it and hope that you don't, I don't know, smash an actor dressed as Spider-Man into the balcony and floor of a very expensive theater oh, multiple God. times. You're not Maybe. making that up. That's a thing. I'm not making that up. It's true. I'm not. Oh, God. Uh, so as we're about to delve in, obviously we're talking musical flops at, broadly, but specifically uh, you brought to the table uh, Carrie the Musical and Spider-Man Into the Night. Can you give us a brief synopsis of those two shows? And why these two would yeah. be my other question. Absolutely. Uh, so I would point to these two because they are the two most prominent flops in Broadway history. There are quite a few Broadway flops that don't do well just because, you know, it just doesn't really catch the audience's uh, attention, shall we say. For example, they did an adaptation of Dr. Zhivago that people were like, Mleh. I mean, no thanks. And it's it's perfectly fine. It's just people were like, whatever. But these are exciting because they the material is not good. Um, <laughs> it's the first problem. The production history. <laughs> the production history is extremely troubled on both of them. And then in both cases, they achieved a state of notoriety that made them into kind of pop cultural objects. Certainly with Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, Conan O'Brien. I think on a weekly basis was doing at, uh, kind of live updates of what was happening and just was bringing out his own writers dressed as Spider-Man to perform um, songs that they'd made up themselves, such as, you know, I'm Spider-Man and I'm a fighter, man. I take what's wrong and make it right, or man. Oh. I still know them all these years later. Um, but the, they are, I would say, the kind of two tent poles of Broadway floppedom. And from here, if you are interested in this, you can just dive into a world of more exciting flops. Oh like Pretty Belle, starring Angela Lansbury as a kind of woman of the night. Not sure about that. What? Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I don't think ever opened. <laughs> With Mary Tyler Moore. With Mary Tyler Moore? Yeah. yeah. What? Wow. I think the producer issued a statement on that one that was, yeah, we actually could open. I have the money to do it. I just don't want to be responsible for killing the audience by boring them to death. And Mary Tyler Moore was like, okay, well, it's rude. Oh, wow. It's rude to wow. have said that wow. about okay. my performance. Wow. Jesus. Um, so a brief synopsis of both. Uh Carrie the Musical is, uh, of course, uh, a musical adaptation of the film Carrie based on the book by Stephen King about a young girl who is bullied by her peers and shortly thereafter determines that she has uh, telekinesis, which she discovers upon the arrival of her first period. Um, then her classmates pull a prank on her and pour blood on her at the prom. Uh, naturally, this gothic tale, in the idea in the eyes of its creators, uh, felt was felt to be a perfect match with the musical <laughs> stylings of the people behind Fame and Footloose. No. Um, featuring music by the people of Fame and Footloose and uh, also choreography by Debbie Allen, also of Fame. Um, oh and a production that was loosely based on, on Grecian myth and so saw everyone wearing either leather or togas. It, I believe, <laughs> had... Five regular performances, 16, per, uh, 16 previews, and then instantly closed. If we flip forward a bit, we have Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, the most expensive musical in Broadway history. Um, it was put together by Julie Taymor, who had achieved notoriety for her still-running production of The Lion King. Which is very um, good. 
Mm. It is very good. It's a smart adaptation. This, not so much. Uh, music <laughs> by Bono and the Edge. Because, so of course. That. Yeah, a natural <laughs> fit. <laughs> yes, who would not think of Bono and the Edge to do this? Um, it had more previews than any show in Broadway history. I think it has also injured more Broadway performers than any show oh in Broadway history. It was doing so poorly and became such an object of uh, scorn that they eventually had to sneak, they fired Julie Taymor and brought in someone else and kind of tried to reboot it while it was still running and it didn't work. Um, it is Shocking. the story of Peter Parker finding out he is a spider's man. Um, <laughs> a spider mixed man. for some reason with the Greek myth of Arachne, which no one wants in this context. <laughs> and if that sounds confusing, that's as clear as it gets in the show. <laughs> I feel like I'm seeing a real theme of, but what if we made it Greek? Yeah. On both of these <laughs> musicals. So maybe it's a good example for all of us that if you have the thought, but what if we make it Greek, stop. Stop immediately. You're absolutely right. If anyone raises their hand at the first writer's meeting, it's like, <laughs> no, I've got something. And it's a little bit controversial. Put that person in a trebuchet and fling <laughs> them into the sun. <laughs> it's not going to work. Uh, like Icarus. Drops all the mics. Um, Have you seen either of these shows live? I have not seen either of these shows live. I have been privileged enough to see bootlegs of both. Now, bootlegs are bad, but uh, with Carrie the Musical, I feel fine about this because it closed in 1988. So, oh, this is from the 80s. Okay, okay, legitimate. This is from the 80s. Now, there are two performances of Carrie the Musical you can really see. the original production was done by the Royal Shakespeare Company um, in Stratford, of course, (laughs) um, course. with legendary actress Barbara Cook. Um, She was nearly decapitated by an errant set piece and quit that night. And they were like, don't worry, you know, just hang on with the show until we find someone to replace you. It closed very shortly thereafter. So they never did find a replacement, but she refused to come to Broadway. Um, In Broadway, she was replaced by a legendary uh, musical theater actress, Betty Buckley, who not only starred as the gym teacher in the film adaptation of Carrie, uh, but who played Grizabella in Cats and won, an, uh, won a Tony for it. Um, so the, the bootleg you can see is the Stratford production, but you can hear audio clips of Betty Buckley, who in my mind is the better Carrie's mom, um, if, you, if you troll YouTube. And then with Spider-Man, there are two different versions you can see. You can see version 1.0, which is Julie Tamer's version, which includes such things as a geek chorus instead of a Greek oh chorus. My. We're already God. seeing the problems here. Um, a lot of <laughs> very bad music. <laughs> and, um, just a real reliance on Arachne as a character in this confusing way. And then you can also see 2.0, where they got um, uh, Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa, who I believe has worked on Riverdale and yeah, yeah, he's the one of the showrunners on Riverdale. Yeah, so he did that. He was basically parachuted in, and they were like, "Help please. us, please! You need to help us. Please do anything." So that version becomes a little bit more self-referential and goofy, um, and includes different songs by Bono and the Edge. They're still not good, They're but they are certainly the different. <laughs> so, how does a show like this? Uh, actually get produced like how is it possible that 
Because it's hard to produce something, to create, especially a musical. How, 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 how? Great how? question. Great, great question. I how think in both times. cases, when I stack them up next to each other, it's a case of no one wanting to say the difficult thing. Mm. Um, because I think in every creative endeavor, you need to have someone who you feel close enough to that you feel protected when you talk to them, but who will who will give you, you know, the, the straight goods if you need to hear them. Like, Jocelyn, I know you want every episode of I Hate It But I Love It to be about the movie The Apple, but you can't do that because that's very confusing and people won't listen. The musical that I believe Kat Angus referred to as a Jocelyn-ass movie. It, it sure is. I'll tell you. I mean, this has been a real time in my life of reflecting on the fact that I inflict flop musicals on as many people as I love as I can. And you two are just the, the latest recipients of this. I am frankly honored. <laughs> honored. Um, so I think in both of these cases, uh, it was it was the fact that no one could really get through to these young creators who were also in too deep. Barbara Cook has said... Um, when they were in rehearsals for Carrie the Musical, she was a veteran actress at this point. So she'd bring up problems like, I don't think the book really works. There's an entire number called Out for Blood where the teens kill a pig and go pig, pig, blood, blood, kill a pig, pig a blood. And that's the chorus. It's not good. No one likes to do it or to hear it. I Maybe that's we should chorus? cut it. Um, pig a blood is in the chorus. <laughs> yes. And they all dance around. It's it's frankly wonderful to watch um, <laughs> but rather than rather than being like yes we hear you they, these are bad lyrics and a bad thing to do uh they would just rehearse the numbers that were already I mean I say this in in as broad scare quotes as I can working over and over again so they really never got to a point where they were addressing the systematic issues in the show. Um, same with Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark. Um, Julie Tamor was so set in having Arachne that she basically was like, either this Greek myth is in the show or I'm not doing it. And they were like, I, I don't really know who I can think of who would do this big of a show, so maybe it has to be you, but I don't know. The book writer Glenn Berger wrote an exceptional book, which I highly recommend, called Song of uh, Spider-Man. Exceptional in the sense that it's very gossipy and you really get to see everything that was going wrong. Um, and he, to be blunt, he really just sucked up to her the entire time. So if they made it through a rehearsal without stopping, which you know, I think happened once in their entire rehearsal period. Ooh. He would send her these gushing emails being like, you're so amazing. Like, this is the most incredible show in Broadway history. Like, I don't know. I can't believe I'm so lucky to be your partner. And she'd be like, yes, thank you. Yes, very good. Or, you know, she would say, I think that the first act should end with... Um, Spider-Man and Arachne having a climactic battle hanging over the audience, and then as part of this, we should throw a net over the entire audience to simulate a spider's web. And no one at any point said, Julie, what do you mean? <laughs> you can't, <laughs> you can't throw something on top of the entire audience. It's against fire that code. Is, you can't wily yeah, coyote three hundred people. <laughs> yes. Don't Acme style trap at yeah. least a thousand people. A That's a yeah. bad idea. All of them were just like, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, well, you know what? Frankly, we won't know 
how to do that until we try to do it and fail a couple of times. So they ended up making, I think, a $10 million net. And then the writer came in one day and was like, where's the net that's supposed to be end of the show? And they're like, oh, yeah, no, we figured out it is impossible. We, we did just remove it. So I, I guess write something new. So in both cases, it really comes down to no one being willing to be like, is Spider-Man a good idea for a musical? <laughs> That never hit the table. That question. Devastated to learn that they made a $10 million net and then just threw it away. I know. That Think hurts. how much you could do with $10 million. Or you could write a $10 good million dollars worth of rope. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. A much better Spider-Man musical. Yes. Uh, one would hope. It, okay, so this this is the thing that I feel like... Uh, I, I've watched a little bit of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark because you so graciously sent over those those things, but it's hard to describe how bad these are. How, like, why are they so bad? What makes them so hard to watch and so different from something that's, like, just meh? Oh, great question. Okay, the first thing I think is that you can feel a palpable disease on the part of the actors um, (laughs) being marooned on stage. I, I would say, and Kaya, you brought this up to me, and I do think it's true. The acting feels on par with watching... Either a child or your child or a little brother or sister or really any young person in your life doing their first kind of school pageant. No one knows where to look. Everyone (laughs) might need to pee. There's a little bit of holding on to crotches. You know, everyone's very uncomfortable and feeling unsafe in their bodies. And that that is very present and immediate. Yeah, like a Um, noticeable excitement to get off stage is (laughs) running (laughs) off stage. like, oh, we did it. We're out. <laughs> we have got to Just the go. wide-eyed fear every time you've stepped past the break in the curtain. <laughs> yes, okay, so that's exactly. number one. Number one. Number two, not a laugh to be seen in the entire either one. Is that on it, purpose? Definitely not. Um, okay. I think the geek chorus are certainly supposed to be funny, but what you can hear is just these four actors kind of sadly and tersely talking to each other about how they may or may not be writing their own Spider-Man comic, which is a framing device for this story, which is the telling of Spider-Man, but also Arachne. I mean, in the same way that it feels like a, a pageant, I will also say, like, now it's a pageant that children are doing, and it's also the first time they're ever doing improv ever, and they're learning improv as the pageant is happening. So it's really just, you know, watching four people kind of be like, I'm on a beach. And then another one's like, no, you're not. <laughs> and <then it's> like, <laughs> ah, the, the classic improv style of Yeah, you know, no the classic but. no buts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> my name's... My name's... Um, Glenn. No, it's not. Your name's no. Jim. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the end of the scene. Spiders. Bow. Spiders. We're on a boat on the way the, the whole time. <laughs> also kind of putting their bodies down, presumably as the lights go down. Yeah. Not and realizing you can just stand there. <laughs> so certainly no laugh lines whatsoever um, in either one. Both times a huge problem. Um, the huge disconnect between subject matter and musical style is a huge problem in both more carry, I would say, um, because you have these very kind of grim, gothic numbers with bad lyrics. I pulled some for you. So there's a big number where... Um, Carrie is informing her mother that she got her period in gym class 
And her mother sings a song called And Eve Was Weak, where she basically is like, I, you're the devil because you have your period. Carrie's like, mm, don't agree. But the but lyrics also, Mom, you had like, to have a period in order to have daughter. <laughs> Got me. <laughs> the last lines in the musical are, Got me. Um, <laughs> so you, you have lines like, Mama, what is this seed? The seed of evil. Don't you care that I started to bleed? Um, my favorite is, Mama, I was so scared. And they all stared. I thought I was dying. I started crying. crying. You could be forgiven for wanting to play like a Mad Libs with these, where <laughs> like the, uh, the actors just stop and hold their ear up to the audience and you have to yell what you think the rhyming word is. Like because... full pantomime? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then everyone hurls tampons at the <laughs> um, And it's for kids. And it's for kids somehow. Um, but numbers like this are juxtaposed with the opening number, which is called In, where it's all the girls in gym class uh, singing how they're like, want to be popular. And then the gym teacher sings this astonishing breakdown where she sings lyrics like, shame on you, overweight's a sin. It's, it's so confusing. You don't know where you are from moment to moment or how they thought these different ideas were going to come together. Um, so I think I would say that's the third biggest, the third biggest thing that makes this so bad. And then you add on top of that uh, terrible special effects in both of them that don't really work. Yeah. I, I think also I, one thing that made it so unwashable for me, it was watching it knowing how expensive they were. Like it, it's insulting. It, it was like watching a school play, but before you go in, somebody tells you, we spent a hundred million dollars on this <laughs> school play. And now you have to sit in the audience and every fucking thing that happens, you're like, how much money was that? How much money was that? Who who won't eat because they did that stupid special effect? Like it's just the scale of it makes it so much more tragic somehow. You're so right. You are so right. Knowing especially how how rarely those effects work. So I mentioned Barbara Cook nearly being decapitated by the set piece. Basically in Carrie, they had four walls that sort of flipped up to uh, reveal different sets. But at one night, she was just slightly ahead of her mark. And this uh, piece was kind of coming up and was basically like right under her chin before someone just came up behind her and was like, <gasps> no. Um, uh, the first act also is supposed to end with this moment where Carrie reveals her, her powers to her mother. Her mother sings another of her grim tunes called I Remember How Those Boys Could Dance. Um, and it's, that you know, their class. Like like Michelle Pfeiffer in, or any of the people in Hairspray, it was just like, remember when I was young and people cared? Yeah. That's haggard. exactly what it's like. Yes, very much that, but minus any energy, and, and it's kind of someone being like, boys are bad. No, they're not. Let me go to prom. No, I won't <laughs> go to the cellar. I am Carrie, etc., etc. Et um, so basically, she's supposed to be like, uh, Carrie, go and pray. And Carrie's like, I won't. And then just a just the set opens up a bit, um, and then fire comes out, and then she turns around after too long, and her hands are on fire. Um, which 
if you've seen the the movie, you might be like, I don't remember anything like this happening. And if you haven't seen the movie and you don't know what's happening in terms of her development of telekinetic powers, you're like, why, why is this teen standing in front of a chasm with flaming hands? What does that mean? <laughs> End of first act. No. It's, it means puberty, right? Puberty? Yeah, you know. yeah we, we all remember yeah. the time our hands caught fire and we were like, oh, like I'm, it was yesterday. I'm an adult now. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, hair where there was no hair before. <laughs> Hands fire are no ablaze. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Fire in those hard-to-reach places. Yes, yeah, start to grow fire all over. <laughs> so awkward. Yes. <laughs> Who among us cannot say the same? Um, uh, the fire Of course, days. many people have heard of the, the various problems with Spider-Man. Certainly making Spider-Man ever um, ziz around on his webs was... From the get-go, an enormous problem. It's industry lore now that there was, for their first performance, of the effect for investors, they had gutted the Foxwood Theatres. Now, a point of interest is that the Foxwood Theatre is known on Broadway as a haunted theatre. Nothing, with the exception of Harry Potter and um, the, the, the conspicuous cash grab, has ever been <laughs> well there. <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, like Ragtime played there, and then Garth Drabinsky, who produced it, went to prison for fraud. Um, every single show has flopped hard because it's a huge barn. So they had gutted it. They had taken out some seats in order to hopefully make it safer to fling an actor around at about 88 miles an hour. And the idea was that he was going to jump from the back of the stage up to the mezzanine, kind of get whipped around really fast, one loop-de-loo, and then back down to the lip of the stage to land in the prototypical Spidey position with his legs and his arms um, kind of in the the. The Spider-Man hunch? Yeah, the, yeah, you know, classic frog position. Yeah, classic <laughs> spider frog. <laughs> Perfect. So all of the investors, the prospective investors who they desperately need to close the financing gap for this, this already deeply troubled production, watch as a man kind of goes around the theater. <laughs> lands in front of them and immediately breaks both his wrists and both his ankles upon landing. And in my imagination, everyone just ripped their checks in half and threw them on the ground. Just like the sound of ripping paper. (laughs) That's the only thing you can hear over Spider-Man presumably screaming. Oh my God. Oh my body. Um, the the most famous accident that happened was someone forgot to tether Spider-Man's uh, safety line. So oh. the, the show opens with Spider-Man doing a slow motion run to the end of the Brooklyn Bridge. And then Mary Jane falls. Weirdly, a paper cutout of the Green Goblin comes down. We don't know why. Mm. Um, and he's supposed to just lean over, but someone forgot to secure him. So this actor just plunged 30 feet oh my straight God. into the pit. Oh, my God. Um, my favorite example, um, everyone is fine. I should clarify. Everyone is okay. now okay. Is okay. um, that the dead one? <laughs> no, no one the died. Um, the actress who played Arachne, Natalie Mendoza, um, was sort of suspended in this tin foil spider suit. Um, so every time she shows up in the musical to just be like, ah, I am important, apparently. Um, crunch, they sort crunch, of crunch, drop crunch. her from the ceiling. <laughs> um, but on the first night, she was kind of waiting down in the pit um, to be lifted up and blah, 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 I'm arachne. And someone just 
without thinking, threw a carabiner into the pit and it bonked her on the head and she got a concussion. So the what? next night they came into her room for the, you know, the second night of previews and they're like, Natalie, great job. We have all these new sides for you and all of these new songs we want you to do. And she was like, great. I can't learn anything because I, I have a concussion and my doctor has told me to stop doing the show immediately. And they were like... What? <laughs> so they didn't have an understudy. They just had to pull someone from the chorus and be like, yo, can you learn how to fly around in a spider shoot? And she was like, no, please. And they were like, yeah, but you have to. So she just never did the show again, I don't think, because oh someone without thinking just hurled a carabiner over their shoulder and it bonked her on the noodle. Oh, my Wild. God. Wow. And then this poor chorus person is just like, you're in the death seat now. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. You're promoted. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> Holy. But like, Enjoy. Those investors must have not dropped out because the show kept going after that. I think they got different investors and you two and They just Bono. didn't give them a, a preview of that one. They're like, no, no why is it for sure? Start bringing, like, I truly can't tell you how many producers had to drop out of this. The oh first God. producer they had was a sort of legendary, um, I think his name is Tony... Tony Todd, maybe, uh, produced Victor Victoria when it came to Broadway. It's kind of a, you know, hardworking journeyman. And he, and I swear I'm not joking, he met with U2 and Bono and was like, I'm so excited. This is going to be great. I'm just going to go get my checkbook. And after a while, they were like, where is that guy? And they went to find him and he had just walked into the other room and died. It just, that, so that's how they lost their yeah, first producer. Actually died. He literally just like sat down and died. The um, idea of, of paying for Spider-Man the musical caused this man to die. His, I mean, his ghost to instantly vacate his body <laughs> just as a self-protective mechanism, I yeah, guess. Just like, I was just going to say, kind of got ahead of it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, he got out early and that's probably for the best. Very much so. But then be very, grim. <laughs> very grim. Very uh, grim. Julie Taymor also gave money. You two and Bono, I think, were going to various people being like, come on. We're come the on, two I'm members you of you two whose names you know. Who are the <laughs> other two? No even? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give us some money. And yeah, and so they just kept getting people. Oh my God. Wow. Okay. Uh, so speaking of you two, um, obviously they wrote the music for uh Spider Man. Uh Side question, was this around the time that they also were on the Spider-Man soundtrack that Nickelback was on and that's how they got connected to Spider-Man? Like, what's the U2 Spider-Man connection? Why? why it's them? bold of you to assume, Steph, that there is, in fact, a connection here. <laughs> <laughs> and also exciting to imagine an alternate universe in which Nickelback could have been Did the Did the music composers. for Spider-Man. Or some 41. You know, <laughs> either one. Dashboard confessionals. Anybody? Wow. Why, how much would we love a just kind of mixtape of the early 2000s musical? I just one kind of droning sound, I think, from start to finish. Yeah. <laughs> just so much whining. Yeah, so much whining. Very difficult. I believe you two came on because they were intrigued by Julie Taymor's work on um, Across the Universe. Um, mm, yes, they yes. really, really liked that movie. And then also because of uh, The Lion King being such yeah. a success. So they were like, we need a rock sound. You two has done that. <laughs> surely, <laughs> surely they're the ones <laughs> who we should reach out to for this venture. Yeah. Uh, and for the music for Carrie, um, what has that person done anything else? Like, what's the what's the musical styling of that? I guess with relation to the the bloody, bloody dark gore of that 
Yeah, because Carrie content. as a character has to be the quietest character I could possibly to name. Start like, a she musical. barely says any words in the movie. <laughs> well, that's very true. They they deal with this problem by giving her two real well, three real belty numbers. Uh, so she gets um the song Carrie, which is bad. Um, and it's many minutes of her being like, everyone hates me and thinks that I'm bad. I got my period. Jim is awful and I need a pad. What is a period? Honestly, Those... great song. That's, thank you, Bravo. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, so the, the story behind it is that Dean Pitchford and Michael Gore, who had done Fame, had went to see the opera Lulu um, along with Lawrence D. Cohen who did write the script for the film version and Lulu is a fairly dark opera so they felt like ah we could probably do something quite dark also we're capable of this Sweeney yeah, Todd obviously had fame also come out yeah, Lulu is very on theme <laughs> yes absolutely um, Sweeney Todd had come out so there was certainly a precedent for horror in musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, <laughs> I feel like Stephen Sondheim is glaring down at me from <laughs> composer heaven for <laughs> even daring to bring up his name in the context of Carrie. But all, all this by way of saying that I think that they were excited by the possibility to write, you know, sort of different styles of music and something that spoke to the teens and something that was a bit darker. But it, when you listen to the soundtrack, it does feel like two very different feelings. Like there's there's songs like Do Me a Favor where all the teens are slinking around, um, uh, singing about sex uh, for some reason that is unclear or Don't Waste the Moon where they go to um, the movies. I'm not sure how the moon got in there. <laughs> I mean, the moon's there. The moon is there. The moon's hanging out at the movies. <laughs> then, Catching I mean, a flick. Technically, the moon is always in the sky, you yeah. guys. Every song could be <laughs> about saying. the moon was there. Even right now, the moon is up there watching us. So. See, our so version afraid. of Carrie the Musical is, is longer, and I would venture to say better, at least by virtue of its moon content. Yeah, it's <laughs> actually all done by... Information. Yeah, the point of view in this is all... Carrie's situation as seen by the moon. <laughs> it's the framing device. Yeah. It's the arachne. Yeah, that's that's the geek chorus in here, but it's the, the moon chorus. I would pay a substantial amount of money to see a production of Carrie where the moon just turned around and there was a woman hanging in it. Oh, hi. It's me, your pal, the moon. You know, some people say, I cause women's periods. Let's see (laughs) if I can have an effect on some young lady right now. (laughs) And then just raises up Spider-Man style into the the roof of the theater. (laughs) Take my $200. Take it away from me. I don't want it anymore. Bono, if you're listening, which I know you are, come write me. We'll write this music. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think they really kind of got in over their heads where they were like, we know what we would like to do. We also don't know how to do it. So uh, we're just going to do part of what we know how to do and and try to stretch ourselves in other places. And then I think just give up a little bit. And and sorry, we're Carrie. Sorry, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Now, interestingly, they did. um, They rebooted the musical 
in 2012 because it becomes such a cult object um, that I think some kind of upstarts were like, come on, let us have the rights. And so they did, they took out some of the less well-received songs. Don't Waste the Moon, I'm So Sorry to Tell Us All, got the the chop. And that's um, why it failed as a musical. central point of the story. Yeah. Listen, if you don't have a moon, you don't have a period. If you don't have a period, I'm sorry to say you don't have a story. Uh, <laughs> that's just science. Fire hands is not enough sometimes. <laughs> Um, so they, they wrote kind of more uh, folky music to fill in those gaps. It still doesn't work because uh, you still have this this strange conflict between um, these very dark songs, these very teeny kind of wishy-washy pop songs. And then adding to that the fact that I don't really think anyone wants to see a teen be mercilessly bullied and then murder everybody as their nice night at the theater mm. um, doesn't scream let's hire a babysitter and pay more <laughs> money than we've ever paid for a nice for some, entertainment for some reason when you say folksy song my brain immediately thinks of Godspell and I'm just picturing Godspell plus horror movie plus whatever fresh hell this whole thing is and just, oh my it's God. a nightmare Steph, that's actually very accurate as a read. <gasps> they do feel very Godspell. It's it's teens, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know that Sue Snell um, feels bad about her participation in the bullying of Carrie, so gets her boyfriend to take him to prom. Um, and at one point, he kind of goes to Carrie and is like, I wrote a song. It's called Dreamer in Disguise. And yeah, it's all about how he's a dreamer in disguise. Um, it does feel absolutely like something Stephen Schwartz looked at and then threw over his shoulder when he was writing God's Bell. And, the and then they ran over and picked like, it up. It. Yeah. <laughs> like, puts in his cheeks as a squirrel. <laughs> he like chases them out of his house. Like, not again. Shoo, shoo, get out of here. Get out. Why are you always you in my <laughs> fireplace? Shoo, stop whispering <laughs> to me facts about the moon. <laughs> Off you go. You gotta hear more about the moon. Have you heard about this thing? It's in the sky all the time. It's the moon. Mysterious sky orb. Anyway, please, please carry on. <laughs> Oh. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, I got distracted by moon stuff. Um, okay, uh, can we lightning round some uh, hot takes at you? Absolutely, from I am ready. The interwebs. So yeah, we have sourced these from the internet. Uh, we've uh, some friends of the podcast, but also just some from the random internet, Reddit, uh, wherever we love sourcing hot takes, and we're just gonna fire them at you. So number one, uh, Spider Man the Musical wasn't Julie Tamer's fault. That's from mm. Allison, friend of the podcast. Mm, mm. You know what? I Yes, it is her fault. I am so sorry. It is her fault. <laughs> <laughs> it is her fault. <laughs> it is very much her fault. Uh, she had a lot of very bad ideas. And, and that doesn't negate the great ideas she's had elsewhere. But bear in mind, <laughs> this is a woman who did want to end The Lion King. Her staging of The Lion King by pulling back something that's not possible in the theater, pulling back <laughs> to reveal that the entire action of the show had taken place on the Vegas Strip and all of the lions were in captivity. What? What? This is, our, is that for real? That is for like, is that real. that actually real? That's actually real. She genuinely was like, "I this is how I think the Lion King should end. And they were like, so why... We have African composers. And she was like, that's right. And they were like, but you can't pull back the camera in the theater. She was like, agree to disagree. And they were like, Julie, no. 
So see, so, where were those people for this one? Where were the Spider-Man? no people? Where the the crucial no people. The no she people. This is the them. problem. When you have so much success, the no people go away. It's so important to have no people in your life. You need yes. them, even if you don't agree with them. To having someone to bounce off of. Sometimes to have someone. Just plant a tiny seed to make you think through your decisions. And sometimes you might think something through and be like, you know what? I still stand by that. I still think this line works. I still think this scene works. And now I, I fully know that and can defend myself. But sometimes you you do find yourself thinking, should I end this beloved children's property <laughs> with the upsetting reveal that Simba is a captive of, I presume, Siegfried and Roy. And uh, used in a show to do a magic trick or jump through a hoop. Yes. Does that mean that they staged Mufasa's death? Who does the revenge need to happen against? Why were hyenas involved? Where is Zazu come into all of this? Which one is Scar? Where's Scar? Why do they have an evil lion in this magic show? (laughs) I mean, they're all evil lions in those magic shows. They're pissed to be there. And for good reason. Um, Because they could be in the Lion King. And some people just don't like magic. It is her fault uh, at the end of the day, but it's it's other people's fault too. Um, Bono and The Edge did not write good music. In point of fact, uh, in the book, they describe how much of the, the musical was written in what uh, The Edge lovingly refers to as Bongolese, which is Bono just uses kind of nonsense words to write songs. So many of their first kind of investors meetings were, were with him singing songs by being like, because oh, the sense is in the side, and the marble's in the fire, and the sheep is in the heart, and in the field. And people were like, is this about <laughs> Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> And, fun fact, never change those lyrics. Never change the lyrics. They honestly might as well have have never changed those lyrics. Yeah, it's true. I I have poor hearing anyway, but I will say most of the musical sounds like a big bong, big bong Spider-Man, a chim, 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 and a Spider-Man, and a zoop, 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 and a skibbity zop, and a Spider-Man, and a bibbity bop. (laughs) Except for, there was one song, I forget what it was called, but it's the one that the Green Goblin sings where he's just talking about how there's a bunch of, it's like a hero fashion show, it's like, there's a bunch of evil guys in New York. Thank you. And so there's much. a bunch of evil guys in New York. That's the song. <laughs> evil guys in New York. Like that's the whole thing. I implore everyone who is listening to this to hie thee to YouTube and look up the song A Freak Like Me Needs Company, a song that I will walk down the aisle to if I ever get hitched. Um, <laughs> because it is the Green Goblin. This is one of the songs they wrote for the second iteration of the musical. Um, and it's when the Sinister Six shows up, including characters you've either never heard of before because they were totally made up for the musical like Swiss Miss, and then other characters like Craven the Hunt who presumably if you were a fan of Spider-Man you'd want to see more of and not this made-up Spider-Woman um, just being wobbled around with a couple of funnels <laughs> on her hands and feet. Um, but they do sing this incredible song that my partner John and I are always singing where the lyrics are basically All the freaks are in New York and hanging out in New York City for many minutes and they're trying to get the audience of David Letterman's show to clap and everyone is resolutely not having it up to and including David Letterman. Oh, I'm a huge fan. (laughs) It's one of the worst things I've ever seen and it will never, ever make, not make me happy. It's true. It's so fun to watch. Um, Okay, well, this brings me to another hot take. Tamor's vision was too serious. Let it be cartoony and fun rather than mythical and epic. Feelings? 
absolutely. Oh my gosh, absolutely yes. I think the key to a, su a successful adaptation is taking the property as it is. If you go to a hamburger shop, for example, do you want to get a really good hamburger or do you want to get a subpar steak made out of ground hamburger meat shaped into a T-bone? You obviously <laughs> want to get a hamburger. Well, speak so, for yourself. Well, everyone that T-bone sounds I'm great. So Why'd they put a bone in it? Personally, I want nachos. <laughs> Neither of you are good at ordering food at hamburger. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> they asked us to leave. I don't understand it. But, they said we were doing it wrong. Imagine um, like, you know, seeing, let's say Sailor Moon, because I know you were a fan, like Sailor Moon being adapted into a live action movie and they play the theme song of, of Sailor Moon and you're getting so hyped. And then Helen Mirren, just Helen Mirren as herself, walks on stage and goes, um, Sailor Moon is probably most analogous to the story of Titus Andronicus. We start <laughs> in the year wherever that begins. Like what it kind of speaks to is an embarrassment on the part of the creators that prevents them from fully engaging with the property um, and finding out what about it works, what about it people like. I mean, it's kind of anti-fandom if you think about it. Yeah. Um, it's so strange to take a property that people love and be like, it's so embarrassing. Like, I have to make it more serious somehow. If you don't want to do it, let someone who loves Spider-Man do it. Yeah, I mean, Why would you pick Spider-Man? That guy all quips and fun. It's true. That guy loves to have quips. He, yeah. He's famously a little sticky boy who loves to fly around shouting <laughs> quips. A little sticky boy. <laughs> he is. <laughs> it's the greatest description of Spider-Man I've ever heard. He's very sticky. He's just a little sticky boy. <laughs> so, yeah, or like, you know, if you... I think this is a reason why Star Wars The Phantom Menace did so poorly because you're like, yes, Star Wars, yes, battles in space, princesses, um, a guy who lives in his car with his dog, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> One guy's the prophesied boy. Um, he kisses his sister. Don't worry about it. Oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> and then The Phantom Menace starts with like, well, the the spice treaties of 1842 have dictated that there is an embargo on trading at most ports. And you're watching like, oh, no. Where's, where's the pew pew with the zoop Yes, where's the zoop Where's the space dog? Where's Why? dog boy? <laughs> so you just gotta, there's no shame in making a delicious, juicy, fresh off the grill, hot to order cheeseburger. But don't yeah. pretend it's a steak, because it's not. Just steak. love what you love. Lean in, man. Lean like in. that's that's it, It's always more fun. This is an improv principle, but it's absolutely true. It's absolutely always more fun to watch someone commit to a goofy thing than get too serious and embarrassed by, by the, the fear of being yeah. foolish. Like, yes. Be foolish. Lean in. Have the best time of it. Because if you're there embarrassed, then we know and we're embarrassed for you. Just love what you love, man. That's so true. Actually, I will say, I mean, we've talked a lot about things that are bad, which is what I love here. But but if you <laughs> let, uh, listen to Betty Buckley singing And Eve Was Weak, it is, I, it is honestly a pretty astonishing moment of a performance. Because she takes in the course of a single song an audience who is 
hating their night, hating it. And she rips her teeth into that song like she has never sung before and may never sing again. Like she is belting and screaming and throwing her body around. And by the end, you can hear the audience like leap to their feet and start roaring. Even wow. when they were doing <laughs> Carrie the Musical. So when um when they did the uh the Broadway production of it initially, um the ending inexplicably had this huge staircase lowering um, and very unclear. And then Carrie's mom kind of walked down the stairs and, and Carrie was standing on the stairs covered in blood. Also important to notice they could never figure out how to do the blood. So someone just had to run on stage and like wiggle a bucket of jello over her head in such a way that it wouldn't hit her body mics. So she's kind of got chunky jello all over her. Carrie's mom walks down the steps um, she stops her heart by, uh, stops her mom's heart by putting her hand on her chest. It's not clear what's happening. So she just kind of falls over dead and then Carrie dies and that's the end. And Betty Buckley has said like the second the lights went down, the entire audience was like, <laughs> like booing so much. And so she and Lindsay Hatley, who, who played Carrie are lying on the ground, like, well, we're about to have to bow to that sound. Oh. So they got up hand in hand, and as they got up, it instantly flipped, and everyone started screaming for them, like screaming, clapping genuinely, like, you two were amazing, loved you. And the show sold out every night, and it was such a perfect example of, like, they committed so hard to this bad thing that the audience was like, fuck it, I'm with you. I yeah. Yes, okay, carry the musical for the next five minutes and oh, we're back to the teens. Well, I absolutely hate it again, but, <laughs> but you had me briefly. <laughs> there is no fighting pure enthusiasm. It's just impossible. Like it's pure, true. pure commitment, you can't get mad at it. You can't, you're not allowed. No, you can't. You can, but then you look like the one who's lame, yeah, not the thing like the that you're being a poo-pooing all over. It's true. <laughs> to be graphic about it. Um, <laughs> this is a hot take from Stephen King, uh, who says, Ooh. I liked it a lot. In fact, I liked it for most of the reasons that Frank Rich, who was a New York Times critic, did not. He and I saw the same show. We just drew different conclusions from different perspectives. Thoughts? I love... Stephen King. I think he is a very good writer of the beginnings of things and often not of the ends of things. Um, yeah, that's oh, the fair. Ryan Murphy effect. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, Ooh, I, yeah. I would, I would politely and casually note, simply because he has also noted this, that Stephen King was on a lot of cocaine during the eighties. <laughs> um, more than most people should ever do in their entire lives. Certainly enough to the extent that people are like, what was it like writing Cujo? And he's like, I don't remember. Oh, um, my God. So, I, yeah, a lot of things I would imagine are enjoyable when you have sheer energy flowing through your body in the form of many grams of cocaine. Oh, my God. And then they murdered the pig, and I was like, who hasn't been there? And then the moon was there. The moon. Always talking to me, that moon. I love that moon. The moon. It's great. Have you heard of the moon? Steven, Okay, you're... that does change the context slightly. <laughs> really Just in the bathroom, it. facing the wall. You haven't seen the show. The moon. Yeah, Steven, but I that's enjoyed the it. Light. That's the light. You turned that on. It's not a moon. It's, it's in your right house. in here. <laughs> Okay, so maybe uh, that's a that's a uh, an asterisk uh, on that particular. Less of a hot take, more of a high take. Yeah, very good asterisk cocaine. Yes, cocaine. Okay. Yes, <laughs> potentially cocaine. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, last but not least, Carrie has some bangers, but the casting choices are deranged and baffling. Now, I wonder who they are thinking of, because I will say um, I think the casting is pretty exceptional. And there are a lot of esteemed Broadway actors who came out of that show. Um, Lindsay Hatley went on to a wonderful career on the West End. Very charming young woman. She played Eponine for a long time. She was in Mary Poppins. Betty Buckley um, had a bit of a rockier time, also due to drug use. She was Edwin Drood in The Mystery of Edwin Drood. She was certainly in Cats. I believe she was fired from Into the Woods as the witch. Um, but then later was invited to perform at one of Stephen Sondheim's many galas fetting him. So either way, I mean, she's great. Barbara Cook, um, an exceptional talent. She's maybe the only one who's, who, I mean, when you hear Barbara Cook, she's Marion from The Music Man. She's Cunegonde in Candide. Um, she's, uh, um, uh, what's her toes from, uh, She Loves Me, the main girl of, uh, oh, God. Um, Amalia. So th this beautiful, lilting lyric soprano maybe does not belong with lyrics like, he will burn you, he will burn you, mm. he will burn you, mm. he will, what's that? Burn you. Burn um, you. Burn you. <laughs> uh, I do want to see this as a pantomime, just saying. <laughs> I really think it works. I will play the moon. Um <laughs> Charlotte D'Amboise, um, daughter of the incredible dancer Jacques D'Amboise, who was in Seven uh, Brides for Seven Brothers. She has been in Pippin and Chicago kind of a billion times over. She was also in Cats. Uh, she played um, Chris, the bully, and she has a lot of fun dance solos. Uh, so there, there certainly were some great uh, casting choices. And then in the revival, we had one of my all-time favorite Broadway stars, the late, great, fantastic Marin Mazzi, um, playing. Carrie's mom and she has one of the most beautiful voices ever so Carrie has always seemed to attract a, a huge hotbed of talent to it and I think hmm. everyone thinks like if we just throw enough good stuff at it it will be better like if you layer this shit lasagna with enough wonderful <laughs> sauce and cheese people will forget that the noodles are made of shit <laughs> but they can't and won't <laughs> Because it's disgusting. <laughs> Still leaves that taste in your mouth. Yes. Well, I don't know if there's a better way to describe this particular fandom, so we might leave it on that very, very clear image. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for allowing me to draw you into oh. my passion and my insanity. Oh, oh, I think I live here now. Yes. I think this is, I, 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 I rent this apartment now. Oh, welcome. <laughs> Join me. There's so Let's much more this. to learn about. <laughs> This cult's going to be great. <laughs> it will be mostly moon-based. <laughs> All the best ones are. Sky orb. Blessed sky orb. Um, um, at the end of every episode, uh, so we love to share our micro-fandoms of the week, which we'll do in just one moment. But before we do, uh, we just want to talk about how you can support this show. Uh, there are many free ways which uh, you could take part in, which would be greatly appreciated. Uh, you can reach out, follow us, or send us compliments at Fandom Show Pod on Twitter. Or you can reach out to me at Stephanie underscore Malik on Twitter. And I'm at at the Kaya Green because, as it turns out, there are others. <laughs> uh, but none as great as this one, mm, in my opinion. Oh, that's nice. Uh, if you have ideas for future episodes, want to catch up on past episodes, or just want to say hi, you can visit us at thefandomshow.com. 
Uh, please tell all your friends about us, every single one of them, um, uh, especially your nerdy ones, because we're just gonna we're gonna try and cover just like every single kind of fandom on this show. So let's uh, everything from Raptors to musicals to Marvel to, to Star whatever. Wars. So, so tell all your friends about us because there is guaranteed to be something here that you love. And also, if you don't love it and you never heard about it before, like I don't know, musical flops, um, there is always something to love in every fandom. Otherwise, people wouldn't love it. So tell all of your friends, and uh, if you can potentially. Actually, we beg you, um, get on your podcast provider of choice, uh, principally Apple Podcasts. It's great. Do a little rate, review, subscribe, even just like a one sentence review or like a one word review. Just just shout something just at us. tell us what uh, the moon would say in your musical adaptation of Carrie. Oh, I really hope someone does that. Um, <laughs> and that will help us. That will help us sort of reach a larger audience so we can just uh, gather more, more fans, fans of fans. We can uh, keep collecting fandoms. Uh, and you can also find us on Patreon, uh, where you can throw some of your hard-earned dollars our way. For just a couple bucks a month, you can listen to episodes early. Uh, well, you can find out topics that we're going to be doing, uh, get a shout-out, or submit your own hot takes for upcoming episodes and guests. So please check that out as well. Yeah, we could say your name here next to a take. I could. Is your name John? I've said it. How did that feel, John? <laughs> Creep, creepy in this case. Hey, John. How you doing? Um, <laughs> now uh, to our micro-fandoms of the week, starting with Jocelyn. Jocelyn, what are you fanning out about this week? <gasps> I'm so delighted to talk about this because I just finished it. So Kyle Mooney of Saturday Night Live fame, wonderful comedian, has created a show called Saturday Morning All-Star Hits. And it is essentially a recreation of the early morning cartoon blocks that used to air <gasps> in the 80s and 90s as hosted by two twin brothers played both by Kyle Mooney, introducing all of these uh, kind of sit uh, sitcoms and cartoons and ads that would presumably air during that time period. Over the course of the show, a narrative unfolds about these two brothers developing a rivalry over one of them getting a one-word cameo in a show called Strongimals that really just spirals out of control. It, it is such an exceptional commitment to a bit. Kyle Mooney is so funny in the part. Um, they also got a lot of veteran cartoon actors on there. So you'll hear Maurice LaMarche, Cree Summer, oh. who is the original uh, Penny and Inspector Gadget, um, uh, Frank Welker, who's kind of done everything up to and including the Anaconda in Anaconda is in there. What? The um, Anaconda? The Anaconda. And the animation style is is perfect. It's, it's kind of strange and dark and very funny. A great review I read said it is really an exercise in a sustained punchline. So I highly recommend sticking with it because it only gets funnier all the time as bits reoccur. It has a devotion to submarine sandwiches that I've never seen in any adult comedy before. <laughs> Um, deeply, deeply weird and funny and just so delightful. And it's a super quick watch. So I highly recommend it. That is my mini fandom. Amazing. Hi, what are you what are you fanning about? Okay. Well, this is uh, a major two major fandoms colliding into what this week uh, just delighted me consistently, which is a new casting announcement. I'm a big I'm a big fan of The Last of Us, the uh, video game series. Love them. Uh they're dark and creepy and scary and they make me feel things. Um and uh they are filming a show for it in Winnipeg currently. Very excited. Creators of Cher Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Yeah. Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Uh, <laughs> that classic French show, Chernobyl. Mm, can't wait to never live that down. Um <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh I'm very, very excited because it sounds like it's gonna be great. HBO's behind it and 
for the most part, Game of Thrones aside, I trust them. Um, and recently they replaced one of the character casting with Nick Offerman. <gasps> and so now I get to watch The Last of Us show with Nick Offerman in it. And I don't know, man. Do they know I'm out there? Do they know I'm out there <laughs> hoping for these things? Because my dreams are coming true. I love when those things line up. Oh, I just feel so seen <laughs> by people who don't know I exist. It's beautiful. <laughs> so I'm stoked about that and it makes me happy every time I think about it. Mm -hmm. Steph, what's making you happy every time you think about it? Uh, I am deep into my first watch through of Downton Abbey. Uh, and at this point, two suitors are courting Lady Mary. Edith depressed all the time. Her life is terrible. She has a child that's nearby, but she can't say that it's her child. Um, I love thirsty ass drama. Uh, I love I love just weird dumb dumb dramas, uh, and I'm deeply sucked into Downton Abbey at this point. Branson started as a, the driver. Now he's like a lord. I don't know. He's fancy now. I'm loving it. After coming off of the crown. Uh, and not having new episodes, I went into Downton Abbey. I feel like you went Gossip Girl, The Crown, then Downton Abbey, which is, which is Gossip, Gossip Girl, Girl plus The, the Crown. Crown. <laughs> with a little icing of succession on top. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a wild time in our household. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jocelyn, for just blowing our minds with this wonderful content. I'm so excited to lose hours of my life to this uh, this week. What, uh, where can people find you? Oh. Anything you would like to plug? Sure. Uh, you can hear me talking about things I also hate and love on my podcast. I hate it, but I love it with my delightful co-host, Kat Angus. We are also on the From Superhero Network, as Kaya and Steph mentioned. You can also, um, see some of my work, uh, for kids on Apple TV if you have it. Uh, both The Snoopy Show and Snoopy in Space 2, The Search for Life. Um, I'm also working on some other projects that I cannot at this point uh, give you the name of, which I didn't Do remember until I started saying that. So, <laughs> disregard. <laughs> just a moon musical. Don't worry about it. So, just wipe that from your memories. Don't, don't think about it. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter at Jocelyn Getty. Um, and thank you both so much again. I had such a delightful time. This is so Yay. fun. I'm, I'm a fan of so many things, so I will, I, please have You'll me back, be back. again. Yes. You know we will. Oh, we absolutely will. Uh, and everyone, thank you so much for tuning in until next time love the things you love and please tell everyone about them bye, bye. the phantom show the phantom show is produced by andrew ivamy as part of the from superheroes network for more great podcasts like this, as well as web comics, articles, and so much more, visit FromSuperheroes.com.